Excellent. I'll do the intro right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. Today, we're doing a special episode. Uh, I've got, I'm doing a great interview with one of the most important people at the glorious, historic Tennessee landmark. That's right, the Tennessee Theater. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Kim Burns, and I'm the technical director for the Tennessee Theater, uh, a position that I've been fortunate enough to have for the past 43 years. And may I say that is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, part of the reason we're doing this interview, of course, is uh, you know, both the Good, the Bad, and Nerdy Movie Podcast is, uh, is going to be doing some promotion for uh, your summer movie magic series. And uh, can you tell us some of the movies that are playing there uh, this summer? Oh, yeah. Um, good question. Um, um, let's see. Of course, we started off uh, last weekend with A League of Their Own uh, and then followed that up this past Sunday with Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, and then this Friday, uh, which I believe is July 7th, uh, we have Tommy, uh, followed by E.T. on Sunday. Uh, and then uh, the next movies, we have High Fidelity, Some Like a Hot, uh, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Willy Wonka, Clueless, and then we end the series with uh, Sleeping Beauty. Excellent. And yeah, m- most of my regular listeners recognize that we've done quite a few of those uh, movies on our podcast. So uh, I was very happy that you guys were going to be booking some of these because as much as I've said, you know, watch, you can watch a movie at home as much as you want. But when you see a movie on the big screen, there's just a whole different experience. There's the sound, the quality, the experience of having people around you enjoying the film at the same time. It's just it's just something that's so different than just watching on your phone, which unfortunately these days, because of, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of it's you know, still, you know, adjusting to post COVID times, but it's just people still don't like, aren't as comfortable going into big theaters to see movies anymore. But fortunately from what I've heard, you guys have had some very good turnouts for your first couple of screens. This, uh, I, um, I was told you guys had a lot of people in costume for Captain America uh, on Sunday. Oh, we did. Yeah, there was, uh, I know there was a couple of uh, ladies that were, I mean, they were dressed in perfect um, 1940s uh, attire. Um, So, yeah, there there was, uh, it's very festive, and uh, uh, people love the movies here. Everyone who comes to movies always have a good time. Um, And uh, back to your point about actually seeing a movie uh, and the movie experience in an actual movie theater uh, or a theater um, is you don't have any other distractions around you. If you're, if you're watching it at home, uh, there's always something going on. You can, you have that, you know, you can get up in the middle of it or there's other distractions. So uh, you, you just really aren't fully immersing yourself into the movie. So uh, the way you do when you're actually in a, uh, in a movie uh, theater environment. And uh, t- tell tell us when. Uh, so, what year was the Tennessee Theater first uh, built? Uh, it was built in 1928. Opened October 1st uh, of that year, and the first movie was The Fleet's Inn, starring uh, Clara Bow, who at that time was known as the It Girl. Yes, America's sweetheart. America's sweetheart. And uh, now, was uh, were the, uh, most of the films silent initially, or did, was sound already installed at the theater then? 
the theater opened with sound. It was Vitaphone. Uh, Vitaphone was the uh, format where uh, you had a you got a reel of film and you got a disc, and there was actually a turntable um, hooked or synchronized to the back of the projectors. That so when the reel started, the turntable started, and that was the way they they uh, did the reproduction of the sound. Um, so the theater did open uh, with uh, sound capabilities. Uh, now, movies, even though the jazz singer was the first uh, talkie, so to speak, um, that came out in 1927, um, it, uh, the movies were still, it, they weren't really talkies. They just had the musical accompaniment, which was typically done depending on the size of the theater, anything from a piano to, of course, to Mighty Wurlitzer or some of the larger theaters actually had orchestras that would accompany the film. Um, but when they started putting sound with movies, they actually had the musical accompaniment uh, uh, on the sound. And, and then they would, they would use a few spoken words, but it wasn't a complete talkie as we, as we know, would think it would be. Yeah, I mean, the modern talkies really didn't start to probably really about 1930. I mean, Correct. I, I'm such a silent film buff. Uh, I'm currently reading a new biography on uh, Buster Keaton. And I always yeah. find it fascinating this the gloriness and the, the, the experience the silent film era had for, especially, and, you know, the Tennessee Theater is a great example of what the prestige of the, of the silent movie era was supposed to be. Right. That's when uh, that's when the movies transition from the Nickelodeon or storefront theaters uh, to the great movie palaces of the 20s was was all during the silent era. And uh, um, that was the uh, the movie palace became or came about being because the studios wanted to uh, have a theatrical environment that was immersing their audience uh into a, a world of make-believe where where they were you know they felt like royalty uh coming to the theater uh so it was just the whole total experience uh, that the studios were trying to to uh to give their patrons uh in that era and some of that was also to compete with radio because even though radio was not that big in the 1920s, it was still pretty the heyday of radio and, you know, movies, that would be their main competition was radio. So Correct. You, know, you could listen to the radio at home or you could go to a glorious theater and have, you know, have your popcorn, your drinks and see something magical. And we should put, you know, as and the as spectacle films just got bigger and bigger during this time. Because they were trying to make the movies more, as opposed to like fifteen-minute uh, one-reelers. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, so, uh, primarily, was the Tennessee initially a movie theater, or was it a, mo a mixture of uh, multi-use? A good question. Um, yeah, the movies were um, the top of the bill, so to speak. Uh, but in that transition period. Uh, they were doing what they was what was referred to as combination acts. Uh, in other words, they would have acts of vaudeville, uh, what we would refer to as the opening act, so to speak. Uh, they would have um, some vaudeville acts uh, beforehand. Uh, there would be a, uh, also a house band. Uh, the, the first house band here uh, at the Tennessee uh, was Don Pedro and his Melody Boys. 
and uh, and they'd always have um, an organist uh, for the Wurlitzer who would also do a, um, a kind of a solo presentation of their own uh, using using the Wurlitzer. Um, so uh, the first for the Tennessee, the first six months, uh, the bill was. Um, the combination acts with, with vaudeville, they, they teamed up, Paramount teamed up with Keith vaudeville, um, to, um, to provide the, um, the vaudeville, uh, acts before the movies. Yes. Uh, and so was Paramount the primary distributor for films to the Tennessee at that time? Yes, Paramount's the one that actually the studio that did build the build the theater. So yes, that was okay. A show. So it was a Paramount theater initially. Excellent. Uh, I guess that's something that people don't realize that you know the movie studios build a lot of these theaters because they wanted to own you know they wanted their uh, much bigger cut in the profits from the film because you know, yeah back yeah you know, back yeah back then in the Nickelodeon age you know, somebody if you could just get a copy made of a copy you could a lot you know there'd be a lot of bootleg prints you know uh, tons of money in these little uh, backdoor stores and, yeah and you know they the you know not unlike today but anyway. <laughs> yeah I, I mean I, like i said not some things never change uh, and what I thought was interesting also was like, you know, Thomas Edison notoriously did that for quite a few of the classic, uh, especially um, Journey to the Moon. He got a bootleg right. copy of and <laughs> so it was like the uh, the the cons, you know, like controlling the control, you know, the artistic profit was a, a, a you know, a major reason they got into the idea of like uh, building these gorgeous theaters. So how long did it remain in Paramount's ownership? Uh, it ran. uh Basically, until 1932, 1932, the Depression finally got them. Uh, Paramount had to make a decision. Uh, and, uh, of course, their their movie theater chain was uh, known as Publix Theaters. Um, and they basically, all their assets went to save the studio. Uh, so their theaters basically went into um, in the bankruptcy the Tennessee uh, went into a receivership uh, in 1932 and operated under a receiver uh, until 1933. Uh, in 1933, a couple of Paramount uh, executives, uh, a name uh, Wilby and Kinsey, were the two gentlemen, uh, formed a company called Wilby Kinsey. Uh, Wilby Kinsey purchased uh, the all of the public theaters here in Knoxville and uh, others around the Southeast. Uh, and Wilby Kinsey operated the Tennessee until 1969. Excellent. So it was, it's good to know, like, you know, once again, the, the theaters, the, the evolution of like the industry of the of film. And uh, uh, I'm guessing they own the Capri and they own like the Capitol and Maribel and, you know, quite a few of the local ones because you know, there were a lot of these glorious small theaters in the area as well. Well, not really. <laughs> um, oh, I was being facetious, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, what happened, uh, Will B. Kinsey, even though they they were related to Paramount, let's put it that way. Yeah. It was kind of, uh, you know, business people that kind of shuffle things around and make it legal when it's really still their operation and that's kind of the way it operated 1948 is when the antitrust laws 
um, came out and in a settlement here in Knoxville, um, uh, Wilby Kinsey slash Paramount uh, agreed to sell um, the Riviera Theater um, to um, to a gentleman named Charlie Simpson, uh, who was again another uh, former Wilby Kinsey executive out of Atlanta. He moved up here uh, and uh, operated the Riviera Theater. And then in uh, 19, uh, uh, 19, I think 1959, I believe it was, or 1960, um, an independent uh, movie operator, a gentleman by the name of Walter Morris, uh, he built the um, Lee Theater that was on Tennessee Avenue. And then he also built the Pike Theater, which was in Bearden on Kingston Pike, and the Tower Theater uh, on Broadway in Fountain City. Uh, he sued Wilby Kinsey because they pretty much um, were locking him out of being able to get first-run films, and he actually won. So in order to kind of keep him satisfied, uh Mr. Simpson leased uh, the Pike and the Tower Theaters uh, in 1963, um, and he um, and that's at Mr. Simpson at that point uh, remodeled both the Pike and the Tower. The Pike was renamed the Capri Cinema, and the Tower was uh, renamed the Lennox Theater. So that's how all that came about in Knoxville, which is probably more than you wanted to hear. But anyway, oh, oh no, I like so, you know I you know I was born in '79, and you know I saw my fair share of movies at the Capri before it became a you know, before it was closed down, and I always thought that was such a fun theater to go into. Uh, yeah, I, I have clear memories of going to go see Joe versus the Volcano and seeing there was the posters for. Um, see uh hard to kill which we covered on the podcast recently and also um the teenage mutant Ninja turtle movie coming out and oh yeah and you know uh, unfortunately and i always thought it kicked you like the capri was another theater where you had all those like uh blocks where um it was a uh you know you had all these famous names you know uh that were there and oh, the sidewalk but, the footprints in the sidewalk yes yeah, which are actually still there uh, outside the old Capri Terrace, uh, which is now a church. Um, and there, I know uh, Bradley Reeves uh, is very instrumental in, in trying to get those uh, preserved, um, which is is a work in progress because they're pretty much sitting out there kind of in, in the weather. Uh, yeah. Rotting. But uh, yeah, the Capri is very, uh, very near... Uh, and dear to me because uh, my father w- was a projectionist and uh, he, when he moved to Knoxville in 1949, um, he was kind of hopped around theaters. And in 1951, he finally landed at the Pike uh, and he was running movies there. After the Capri, uh, they built the Capri 70 next door, which was the Cinerama house. Um, and he moved over there uh, and ran there until 1976 when they twinned the original Capri Cinema, and, which was actually the first platter system in Knoxville, and uh, went over there and 
wound up running all three screens actually by the time he retired in 1984 but uh i basically grew up inside that theater excellent excellent yeah my, uh, so I was curious, back to the Tennessee Theater's movie history, was there any ever movie premieres that were held at the Tennessee Theater? Yeah, uh, there have been several. Uh, the first was, um, uh, so this is Love, uh, that was basically the, um, uh, Catherine, um, help me here, not Catherine, um, Grace Moore, excuse me, Grace Moore story. Uh, you know, the famous opera singer from from East Tennessee. Uh, it was her life story. Uh, the world premiere of that was in 1953, uh, which was the first one here. And then um, we had in 1963, uh, we had All the Way Home, uh, which was, of course, the James Age, based on James Agee's book, A Death in the Family. Uh, and then 1965, we had The Fool Killer, um, and then it was, a then all the world premieres kind of happened down to Capri or, uh, and, but teen trying to think the years, uh, we had a six pack with uh, Kenny Rogers movie, uh, uh, premiered here in 1982. Um, and then we've had a couple of, uh, actually, um, um, Oh, The Curse was another movie that premiered here. That was David Keith's directorial uh, debut. Uh, it premiered here. Uh, Unremarkable Life was a Patricia Neal movie that also premiered here. Um, so we also did a um, When Sleeping Beauty came out on, uh, I think, DVD. Uh, that was uh, the DVD they had a special showing here with Mary Costa um, uh, promoting that. So, yeah, there's been, you know, several of the, the world premieres here. Sleeping Beauty, uh, Disney put a lot of effort and they did the restoration for the DVD and later for the Blu-ray. And I, you know, like it's one of those films that, uh, as we talked about on, on the episode, if you guys haven't checked out the Sleeping Beauty one, it's one of the more complex when they came artistically. And it's such a gorgeous film that you know went on small screens you just missed out on what all you know that and it just looks so much better and when disney did a restoration of it they just really cleaned up the widescreen effects on it so it's uh and i'm hope i plan to take my kids to go see sleeping beauty winds playing it later uh in in august so uh yeah i'm looking forward to that one sure. yeah I, I was so happy you brought up all the way home uh my uh grandparents actually went to the premiere because uh my great grandfather lived on this, and my great grandparents lived on, in the same neighborhood of Fort Sanders as the AGs. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were uh, they were fr- they were friendly at one point. Uh, my uh, great grandfather uh, Thomas Dalian Morse was treasurer of UT in the twenties. So, like, uh, you know, they were they were pretty prominent family. Yeah, you know, they they were familiar with the AGs in that area. So uh, they went. Uh, my, so my grandfather. Ironically, he kind of had a similar situation with the that James Agee did, which is his father died you know, when they were young too. Uh, so, like oh. his his fa- my great grandfather, one day on a hot summer day, walked all the way from campus up to Fort Sanders, and by the way, their house, the hospital is now, and just for lunch, decided to take a nap and never woke up. And you know, I think yeah. my father was like seven at the time, so he he basically had a similar death in the family scenario. Right. So they, uh, uh, my grandparents went to go see the premiere. Uh, Because they were, it was a similar story, and plus they just got to 
reminisce about those times. So yeah, uh, and you know that I think a lot of people realize like the in, the cultural impact uh, James Agee had on uh, on both cinema as a uh, you know film critic and as a writer, and I think that's you know, that film's you know, being filmed in Knoxville was a very important thing. When I was at UT in the uh, 1990s, I was part of, we were part of the uh, Save the Fort uh, campaign, and we screened all the right. way at, the, at campus. Right, exactly. And, and of course, one one thing about the movie, um, the um, where the the scene where um, uh, Rufus goes with his father to the movie theater, um, uh, actually it was supposed to be in the Majestic Theater, which was down on the three hundred block of South Gay Street. Um, but the film, of course, it was long gone. Uh, so they filmed. They used the Bijou to film that scene. So if you want the so if you watch the inside of that movie scene, that's the that was actually the inside of the Bijou. Yeah, I still got a kick. Uh, if uh, if anyone's ever seen October Sky, most of that was shot in the Knoxville area and the right the Tennessee theaters, the Tennessee theater, the T ten off. Yeah, that they took off the T and the and the the final E to make it the Tennessee, so they try to make it believable that we were in downtown Indianapolis. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, 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 anyway, um, what were uh, so over the years when it came to movies, like uh, how you know Hoth were movies still the primary up until 1969? Yeah, movies were primary here until um, uh, because we were the flagship, or, or the Tennessee was the flagship theater. Uh, Will B. Kinsey, um here in Knoxville. Um, all the way up when uh, Wilby Kinsey sold uh, the theaters to ABC Southeastern Theaters. And uh, the Tennessee remained uh, the first run house uh, for ABC all the way up until 1972. Uh, in 1972 is when Westtown uh, opened up. And of course, the first theater was Westtown Ultravision Theater. Uh, it was not in the mall like the theater today uh, is. It, it was actually a fr- its own freestanding building uh, there in the corner of the parking lot, there, the northeast corner of the mall parking lot. Um, and um, so that became, that became the flagship theater for ABC here in Knoxville. Yeah, I remember, the, uh, I remember growing up in the 80s and yeah, I don't have any th- uh, films there, but I, I have a very clear memory of the time uh, Last Temptation of Christ tried to play there, and there was right. quite a few uh, protesters in the, at the mall that day because we were trying to go shopping, and we couldn't part because of all the protesters. Uh, those were fun times then. <laughs> I drove a car through the crowd, or, or yeah, it, it was pretty ugly. Um, Another a little side story about uh, there was an interview done with uh, Bill Corey uh, when they were opening the West Town uh, Theater up, and he was asked what the you know the future of the Tennessee, and he gave kind of a pessimistic answer. He said that well, he said that we'll we'll try to continue to operate it, but he said that it's really difficult. Uh, to, the large downtown theaters are very difficult to operate. He's he said, "I'm afraid we'll probably wind up giving it up." And after that, um, I'm afraid it'll be like the rest of them, torn down and turned into a parking lot. And one thing we like to point out now is that the Tennessee Theater is alive and well, 
and the theater that was built to replace it is now the parking lot. And it's just, once again, <clears throat> shows you can't judge, yeah, make any kind of crazy judgments about uh, history. And right. uh, so um, now I know by the there had kind of uh, gone through some hard times. I remember like there was, you know, it, oh, I didn't call it dilapidated, but definitely needed uh, some major remodeling. And unfortunately, uh, the remodeling uh, campaign happened. Was it 2001 when you guys started the construction? Yeah, it was actually 2003. Yeah, it was uh, uh, ABC shut the theater down. Uh, you know, in the in the 70s, the theater had pretty much become a uh, second run uh, theater. Uh, a lot of action films, uh, really poor um, foreign monster flicks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, like Deborah! that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in, until they did finally close it in 1977. Uh, and then after 1977, or the, there was one operation as a revival house that lasted for about six months, uh, and the theater was closed again. And then 1979, uh, Ralph and Robert Frost uh, leased the theater, uh, and that's when I I came. That's when I showed up uh, a lot. And Bill Snyder also uh, show uh, came in at that time to play the Mighty Wurlitzer for him. Um, but again, they, um, opened it up using, uh, running it as a revival house and, uh, because, um, they were promoters and they knew how to do it. Uh, it was, that was the period when Knox, Knoxville basically rediscovered the Tennessee theater. Um, you know, long lines. Every time we ran a movie, there were long lines, uh, coming to see the movie. Um, the frost really knew how to to um, create excitement. Um, so it, it was really just, it was a great time. Um, uh, I guess basically the Tennessee woke up uh, at that at that point. Yeah, uh, I mean, Knoxville and it went through a pretty major development. That was, of course, the as the World's Fair was coming too. So I'm, it was probably perfect timing for everything, kind of to get a nice re- uh, restart too, so. It was, uh, of course, basically at that period of time, downtown was still going down. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it, it, you know, 1972 is, you know, when after the mall opened, that's when retail started dying in in, in downtown. And uh, when they opened um, East Town Mall up in 1984, that was pretty much the nail in the coffin for retail in downtown. So, um, when the frost are operating the theater and, and during the and then after um, Dick Broadcasting purchased the theater in 1981, um, that was um, they were fighting a hard battle because the the tide was still going out as far as, as, far as downtown was concerned. Um, but uh, it was the visionary like Mr. Dick had um, for the future of the theater. Um, and basically he saved the theater from an, a, a developer buying it, uh, in that time period, uh, for alternative uses, um, not theater, not theatrical uses. So, yeah. uh, and of course the movies, the movies are a very important part of the programming, uh, during the, the, the era, the, the beginning of the, um, Dick broadcasting era. Um, they brought Bob Frost back to manage the theater, and he he brought back you know booking the movies uh, through through the eighties. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and you know that was a big period of movie time in the eighty, you know, especially in the mid to late eighties. There were so many like great like films to see in the, the on the theater. Like what what's uh, as somebody who's worked behind the scenes, uh, was it still a two screen, a two projector screen, or uh, a pro- projection system, or was it a single projection system? No, it's it was. We've always we've never had platters here. It was always a projector system. Uh, where we make the changeovers, which uh, is beneficial to us uh, now because the the almost the only, I won't say the absolute only way to get your hands on a print, but um, pretty much the, the, the only option you really have uh, is to an archival house. And an archival house will not let uh, any of their prints out to... Uh, a theater that only has one projector and a platter because um, you they don't they don't want their reels uh, to be uh, spliced or cut up or or anything. Uh, so we have to run the um, two thousand foot or twenty minute reels um, uh, when uh, we do run film, which we haven't done since uh, two thousand eighteen. But that is going to change uh, in August. Um, where the library is doing a um, um, Clarence Brown Film Festival uh, in August, and we're actually going. Some of the movies uh, are going to be uh, on film. Oh, okay, I hadn't heard about that. So that's uh, that's just recently been announced. Uh, it is. I'm not sure if because the library is handling the publicity for that, so I'm not. Yeah, uh, but I. I think it's been put on our website now. So excellent. Well, I'll make sure to tell, uh, make sure all of our listeners check that out as well. Uh, I'm guessing, and of course, those of you who don't know who Clarence Brown is, he's one of the great uh, cinema, uh, great directors of the 30s, 40s, and even into, a little into the 50s, and a big uh, prominent person from Knoxville, but uh, over UT, the Clarence Brown Theater is a prominent, you know, arts theater that he uh, found uh, that he funded and. Uh, so that's fantastic. You know, some of his great movies include like uh, National Velvet and The Yearling. So uh, are those both going to be one, some of the ones screened? I'm uh, not sure. I, I should have done my homework. I'm not really. Uh, I'm quite honestly, I'm not sure what the titles are. Right, well, I, think, okay, uh, I think National Velvet is. I remember that. Um, um, but yeah, I'm not. I don't well, have like I said, everybody check out the uh, check the tnctheater.com and you'll be able to find details about that. And of course, about the summer movie magic. Uh, let, we, uh, we probably need wraps up soon, but I want to talk about the uh, summer movie magic series. Uh, that was only the first time that I started coming to see films. Like, I remember it was back in 90, I think it was, yeah, 99. I came and saw Princess Bride and I uh, raised the Lost Ark, and those were some big, they were some great crowds, and that was the time where you know. Downtown Knoxville was not really downtown Knoxville. <laughs> it, yeah. kinda, it was basically a lot of buildings. So uh, uh, it was a great highlight always when there were some uh, good shows going on there. Uh, when did the Summer Movie Magic series start? Uh, that started in the late 90s. Uh, and uh, uh, exact year would probably about 97, 98 in that year. In that era, a period of time, I know we were running them by, uh, we definitely run them in 99. I think it started a year before that in 98. Yeah. 
I was at the. Uh, I, I remember going there in '98 to see uh, when they had the, the Quentin Tarantino double feature, which was a uh, uh, Pulp Fiction and a Reservoir Dogs back to back, which was a great uh, great crowd to watch that with. Right. Yeah, it really was. Um, Should have thought I had that pulled up. Uh, that's okay. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, it's like, it was basically, it, it, as always, it's like, you know, there's plenty of acts always complain to the Tennessee Theater, like, for live performances, but uh, it's good to have uh, at least movies every you know, every now and then, again, still playing at the theater. And uh, 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 and for some of my listeners who aren't in the Tennessee area, uh, the every show is pre is previewed by the uh, someone on the Mighty Warlord, sir? Yes, we, we do. Uh, we're always trying to recreate the era. Um, and we do have Freddie Brapson is our house organist. Uh, Matthew Fisher is our associate uh, organist. So uh, one of them uh, will be always playing uh, uh, at the, and it starts when, if, in other words, if the movie's uh, scheduled to start at 8 o'clock, that's when the organ actually starts. Uh, and they do a 10 to 15 minute uh, little mini concert uh, on the Mighty World, sir. Uh, and then we go straight into the feature film. Uh, so it, it's uh, um, we create the you know the lighting and everything in the house. It's all recreating what the, you know it would have been like to have seen the move uh, seen a movie here, uh, you know, in the 30s. Uh, even though it may be a more contemporary film that we're we're presenting, but we still do the the things. And, and the and the Wurlitzer was always. Uh, featured uh, before the movies, uh, pretty much all the way through the through the history of the theater. Um, uh, Billy Barnes was a an organist that uh, many people would remember through the '30s, and he uh, he was the organist here all the way up uh, until the late '40s. And then there's been other organists that played it. Uh, Preston Spaulding was an organist who played it uh before the movies uh on a volunteer basis through the 60s and 70s uh and of course uh dr bill snyder uh was the house organist and played for the movies here all the way um from um, when i started and he started in 1979 uh and then he just retired well he retired in 2018 as the organist and then freddie brapson uh, became our house organist. So we've always, there's, there's always been an organist, uh, uh, here at the Tennessee theater playing, you know, playing the Wurlitzer before, before movies. So that's, uh, definitely a, a long Tennessee theater tradition. Yeah. Uh, back in October, I took my kids to trick or treat at the, uh, Tennessee theater. And, uh, that my son freaked out when he realized that on the world, they were playing music from the haunted mansion. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, oh, I, know that. I was like, yep. Yeah, they're always really good at, at bringing up, uh, playing something relevant to, to the event going on. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for uh, doing the uh, interview. And uh, I guess, uh, once again, I just want to remind everybody, uh, uh, High Fidelity will be uh, something we, uh, we're, we're inviting everybody to go see if you haven't had a chance to see High Fidelity. That's with the, the great John Cusack. And it'll be playing uh, on is it, is it July 30th. Uh, let me look here just to be sure. Um, I think so. Yes. Yeah. July 30th. Uh, that'll be at the Tennessee theater. 
Uh, so check it out. You can uh, tickets will be available uh, are available on sale now. Uh, please, like I said, also make sure if you uh, have any questions about this, so check us. Please hit look check out the uh, TennesseeTheater.com and also uh, on our podcast, our fa- on Facebook, our fans, Good Bad Nerdy Movie Podcast, and on Twitter, Good Bad Nerdy Movie Pod. Uh, thank you again for doing this. Uh, do you have any uh, any last little tidbits about the CDC you'd like to tell us? Uh, well, yeah. Wait a minute. On the uh, correction, the 30th, July 30th is Some Like It Hot, which is another great movie. Uh, High Fidelity is Friday night, uh, uh, July 28th. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my mistake. I forgot to write it down. Oh, yeah. But also, have a chance to go see Some Like It Hot, one of the uh, AFI declared it the greatest comedy of the hundred of a hundred the last hundred years, which hard to disagree with that. If especially if you're a, a uh, Jack Lemon and Marilyn Monroe fans, right? And we have run that uh, um, a few times in the past, and it's always been very popular. So that's re- another reason why we're bringing it. In. Oh, I meant to ask you what are, what has been the most successful like re- movies you had like screenings for like individual like not like of all time, but like what films right. have. Play, have had the biggest draws when you've done like these one night screenings um well uh that's a good question um uh it's it depends on what year um consistently um uh, past few years Raiders of the Lost Ark was a, was a big draw the Wizard of Oz is always a big draw um looking on through here uh the sandlot when we did that in 2018 that was a big draw uh we also we we've done greece a few times uh last time we did it in 2018 uh was a huge draw also um the princess bride that's another one it's a big draw um you get your older one uh casablanca uh always does um um really well, um, probably our biggest draw that we've had in our repertoire we haven't done because it's uh, it unfortunately has been a, a controversial become a controversial film uh, but gone with the wind was also a, a, probably the most popular movie that we that we've done in the summertime okay uh, and uh, obviously from you know in Washington in a theater like that there's a certain ambiance that goes well with that film Uh and uh, of course, uh, another film I know does really well for you guys every year is Rocky Horror. Oh, well, that one, yeah, that one does. And 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 for Christmas, uh, one that always uh, consistently knocks it out of the ballpark is uh, uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie, and I hope to uh, uh, bring my family this year so we can uh, all uh, collectively say Eddie. You're right. <laughs> uh, uh, I- uh, uh, my dad and I saw that opening night in the Foothill Cinema in Maryville, and we were, you know, he and I were both diehard Chevy Chase fans, and we got just certain, we were the two rolling on the floor, literally li- literally rolling laughing so much because it was such a funny movie. It's still funny to this day. And I, like I said, I'm very excited you guys are doing High Fidelity. I know you guys don't normally uh, screen films uh, that recent, but you guys are starting to get a little more into the late 90s, 2000 films, and I that one I think is going to have a great crowd because it's just a it's this great combination of what cinema about what film is, but also with the love of music and the Tennessee Theater is such a great place to screen both. Uh, so thanks again for doing this, um, and uh, folks, like I said, if you uh, please make sure to check out TennesseeTheater.com, and we'll see you all next time.
All right. I think we got it. Sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Uh-huh. Thank you.